0: Hello, my name is Tim Lord-Clement Jones, a consultant at global business law firm DLA Piper, and a warm welcome to today's podcast in which, together with a senior industry executive, I'll be exploring the regulatory framework likely to govern future innovation in artificial intelligence-related technologies as we enter another decade of transformative innovation. This forms part of our preparation for the widely acclaimed DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2019, scheduled for Tuesday, 15th of October, at ETC Venues, 155 Bishopsgate, London. The programme is available via DLA Piper's social media channels and or our events website, www.dlapipertechsummit.com forward slash European forward slash... Do look out for further details about this major biennial conference, which is attended by over 350 senior legal and commercial executives. With our event play program to include various panel discussions on the impact of tech, including a panel on the future regulation for AI, which our guest today will be also featuring on. Now, my background is a hybrid one, that of lawyer and government affairs and communications professional, and now consultant at DLA Piper, and with parliamentary roles in the UK as chair of the House of Lords Artificial Intelligence Select Committee and co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group on artificial intelligence. And I'd like to extend a special welcome to Ed Thomas, Principal and Analyst, Technology Thematic Research at Global Data PLC. Hi, Ed. For the benefit of our listeners, it would be great if you could give us a brief introduction of your role at Global Data PLC, as well as a brief outline of the
1: company's focus. Indeed, thanks very much. So I'm Ed Thomas, I'm Principal Analyst in uh, Global Data's Technology Thematic Research team. Thematic research is a uh, major part of how global data segments its um, its market research activities. So in our team, rather than looking at technology in the silos that often um, analyst firms will do, we look across at the themes that are driving disruption across all 16 of the, the sectors that global data covers. And those themes can be technology themes, such as artificial intelligence, But they can also be regulatory themes such as data privacy uh, and they can be macroeconomic themes uh, such as the rise of India and India as a market for for technology companies as well as uh, its new role in the the world economy. Prior to to joining uh, Global Data, I was market intelligence manager at an AI company and I have also um, got over a decade of uh, experience at various analyst firms covering a range of technology areas.
0: Thank you. So artificial intelligence has been a subject of major interest in recent months and years, with prominence in the media and elsewhere given to a great variety of new AI-led features, applications, services, hardware and vendors. However, which AI technologies do you think does global data anticipate are really set to drive
1: adoption of the technology across industries and job functions? Yeah, so we um, segment uh, artificial intelligence into seven specific technology areas. They include machine learning, data science, conversational platforms, computer vision, context-aware computing, uh, smart robots, and also AI chips, so the hardware that actually drives these um, these AI processes. I think probably the ones that um, gain most attention in the market and most widely used um, by businesses uh, is machine learning. That's the one that is probably most common and is used in... Uh, it also feeds into a variety of those other technologies that we mentioned there. So machine learning you know, helps data scientists when they're analysing and processing data. It, it is part of the um, the technology set that is used to build conversational plans platforms so it, and in computer vision for things like image recognition and facial recognition machine learning is a major part of how those systems work so we see that as being one of the sort of the, the, the one of the major technologies at the moment that is really changing, you know, is really shaping the ai uh, industry
0: it's really interesting the way you categorize that as a kind of overarching machine learning Uh, I mean, I suppose many of us talk about deep neural networks and we try and unpack some of those aspects. Is that the right way to do it? Or do you think actually machine learning is really the best way of describing it and then you've got a pretty comprehensive kind of overview of of developments?
1: Well, I think um, we see sort of things like deep learning with deep neural networks as a subset of machine learning. So, you know, you have the overarching machine learning framework and then within that, then you have um, systems that can go deeper and provide more processing power to, to deliver perhaps um, uh, more powerful results or more nuanced results. Um, but yeah, I think um, certainly right now, when, when people talk about AI, in, either in business or, you know, just in terms of people's everyday use of, um, of tools on their smartphones, um, they're generally thinking of machine learning. And you don't think, and I noticed that
0: you sort of in a sense, um, made a point of saying that it was machine learning that uh, was the one that you would really pick out. We're not subject to the sort of Gartner hype curve, are we? Uh, in that respect, do you think that uh, that if you go down the curve in, a, in, a, in six months time it won 't be machine learning it 'll be internet of things
1: or blockchain or something else? I think there is always a huge amount of, of hype associated with new technologies, and um, it is the nature of I think the technology industry to have a new favorite buzzword every few months. I think that the um, AI industry. At the moment, there is an issue between um, a potential gap between people's expectations and the reality of the, the tools that they're being delivered. I think sometimes AI has failed to match the lofty expectations that that companies themselves have set up. You know, there have been some very bold claims made for what AI can achieve, and, and often the, the tools that we see being used in the real world um, don't meet those expectations. And that can be an issue for the industry. Um, I've, there, were, there were a number of, of warnings last year from um, uh, people within the industry suggesting that if um, we didn't become more realistic in the way that we described AI uh, and what it can do, Currently, then we were in danger of this expectation gap could lead to a disillusionment with the technology and therefore a drying up of, of public interest, a drying up of funding, which could lead to, in some senses, the, uh, the return of the sort of the AI winter that we saw in the 1970s, because this isn't the first time that AI has been hyped, shall we say, as, as being the future. It it has happened before, and it has ended with a a sort of a boom-and-bust cycle. Absolutely,
0: and it's very important to have that perspective, isn't it, Um, so that we, in a sense, don't make the mistakes of the past and overhype while we're about it. But it is interesting, you know, when you look at some of the evidence that we took uh, when we did our House of Lords Select Committee, there was some frustration about the slowness of adoption of AI uh, uh, technologies. Now, I think probably, and it would be very interesting to hear what you say about this, that it has accelerated somewhat uh, in terms of uh, not just the big companies but also um, some of the SMEs and, and so on that are beginning to really be, uh, understand the benefits of the adoption of some of these technologies.
1: I think so and certainly studies we've done uh, at Global Data suggest that is, that is the case that companies are using the technology and, and quite often you may not be aware as a consumer so people listening may not be aware um, that they are using a, an AI powered tool um uh, in their everyday activities or that ai is being used when they are accessing services like um, applying for a loan or um uh, you know looking for a um to uh, to renew their mortgage Um, there may be an ai um, element to the the process that goes on behind the scenes at a a bank or an insurance company you know we use ai every day so if you look at video on demand services they have a recommendation system that uh, bases based on your past viewing habits and the the films that you and the TV shows that you may have rated highly will recommend things to you based on those choices and that is powered by a, a, you know an algorithm um, that they are you know improving based on your data um and and uh, that should be surfacing things that are relevant to you now as, as as listeners will know often it surfaces things that are entirely irrelevant but uh, there, but there you go we are the, the technology is there so i do think you know on a day-to-day level people are interacting with their ai you know very regularly, more regularly than than they probably are aware. Yes, and of course there is
0: the saying that uh, it stopped being AI uh, when you actually use it in, on a
1: daily basis. Indeed, and it, it, I've I've read a number of people saying that at some point we won't even think about it. You know, it, it will will have a different name. We won't refer to it as AI, it will just be you know part of of computing, part of the way that we build systems. You talk about the sort of
0: seven key. Uh, technologies, AI technologies, but of course you also look at the different sectors which are adopting. Where do you think the real, uh, the really sort of low-hanging fruit is in, in, in the different sectors?
1: I think it can be, it can vary by sector. So there are some industries where there are specific processes that could be helped with the use of AI. So again, I'll be thinking of things like insurances has some uh, some good examples where you can be more predictive um, based on people 's behavior and, and based on their past uh, experiences, um, you can be more predictive about when they may need the kind of premiums they may require uh, in a similar way to you know we 're now used to auto insurance being based on your qualities as a as a driver so if you are a safe driver, you get uh, a lower premium based on that so I think there are op- opportunities there i think there are opportunities um, for using it as we mentioned in um, Uh, In a sort of retail scenario, on a recommendations basis, where you know you can push um, offers and products that people may like based on their their past experiences to people. I also think there's the um, there's the the functions that cut across all businesses. So customer experience is a, a major issue for companies across all industries improving customer experience and AI has a role to play in doing that I think we are becoming the AI community is becoming more sophisticated in what we call conversational platforms which people may know as virtual assistants shall we say such as might be found in a a smart speaker such as an Amazon Echo or Google Home and uh, people also be used to interacting with those when they are Contacting their phone provider or their bank um, for simple transactions, so things that aren't complex, but you know they just need to uh, know their balance, or they just want to report a a card lost or stolen, or they want to inquire about an order. Quite often, those will be automated processes now, where you have a a bot, shall we say, sort of a a simple computer program that is able to understand those questions and respond with the with the answers very quickly. So that is customer experience is, is a major area. We're also seeing it in um in corporate functions um like hr so in being used to um uh, assess candidates for roles you do the the, the first sort of triaging of uh, cvs you know they'll receive hundreds if not thousands for a job they need a way to triage that down to um uh, the, the most relevant and uh, ai technologies can be used uh, to do that they can also be using the recruitment process to sort of trawl the web and identify um potential candidates for a job. So I think it's both an industry... There are industry-specific roles that AI can play, but there are also horizontal uh, functions that AI can play, play a role in. Yeah.
0: And th- th- so you've mentioned the, um, the areas where AI is really getting some traction. Where do you think, uh, where do you think they're behind the curve, so to speak? Um, I'm sure there are areas that you think, well, it's really peculiar that they haven't
1: really moved a bit faster in that area. It's interesting. I think one of the most common areas is the conversational area, and I think this is where there is a bit of an expectation gap because um, there is a. Uh, I think those tools are very are in becoming increasingly smart, particularly the ones that are in your phone or in your home, um, because of the number of interactions they are uh, conducting. But anybody who has uh, who has engaged with those tools will know that they are relatively limited. Um, so, um, a, a most virtual assistants struggle when they have to go beyond a couple of turns in the conversation um, they struggle to remember the context of the conversation um and uh, they they often think, you know they they don't allow a natural flow of conversation as you would you know when you when you're talking normally and what is promised is that this will be a very human like interaction but quite often what we get is um it still feels very much like talking to a computer and that i think is is Slightly disappointing, but in terms of what is promised, I think there's a lot of companies out there, who will promise that you know you can, it will be like a human conversation? They will recognise emotions, etc. That is a very difficult thing to do.
0: I think it's really interesting that you, as an expert, are saying that you're reflecting. I think what an awful lot of us, as ordinary consumers, if you like, experience in in terms of some of the assistance. Very interesting. Um, so you've talked about you know the application, the the, the growing application in HR. You've talked about um, particularly in uh, finance and insurance and so on Um, but of course already these uh, uh, capabilities are raising issues relating to enterprise risk and of course they'll be at the topic of much debate over the coming decade um, uh, as we go into sort of further d- tech-driven transformation. Wh- what conclusions have you drawn from your uh, from, and Global Data's research in relation to the types of enterprise risk which arise or, or potentially are set to arise?
1: I think there are a number of, uh, of risks here. And, and I think one of them is these tools are making decisions on people's lives, often very important decisions, you know, the decision of whether you will receive a loan, the decision of whether you will be granted a mortgage, uh, the decision of whether you'll be selected for a a job. You know, these are um, fundamental moments in people's lives often, and, and the technology is playing a role in that, and I think where there's a risk for the companies who are employing that technology is that these systems are not perfect. These systems are subject to bias. They are subject to um, incompleteness of data, and uh, they're subject to. They are influenced by the the people who built them, and that can lead to outcomes that are that are not reflective. You know, that are, can be deemed to be unfair, not reflective of of society or the kind of society that we would want to build. Um, and that is a huge issue for for companies if they are employing these tools. The risk that they can run is is huge, and and the potential for poor decisions is there and I think you know that's why in in you know certainly personally speaking you know the the human in the loop idea that you know that these are these tools are not just allowed to to make decisions without some kind of human oversight is is important so that's that you know that is a a huge risk for um, uh, for companies I think you know obviously there is a risk as well as they if they move more of their their work over to to AI Um, You know, they have to then deal with what happens to the human staff, you know, so this automation is going to cause a great shift uh, in employment um, globally um, and our company is ready. For for the impact of that, how do they deal with their employees and, and um, whose parts of their roles may become automated? What do they do with the, the free time that those employees now have? Um, how do they retrain them and reskill them in order to be better prepared um, for uh, you know an AI future? That's that's another um, major risk for uh, the, the companies face. I, I think there is also the issue around the ethics. Um, of ai and i think that's one of the things i'm particularly interested in um i sort of touched on the issues of of bias but you know these tools are can have the potential to be extremely powerful um, but companies have to make decisions um, on how they use that power people should know when a computer is making a decision or is part of the decision making process and they should be aware i think you know companies are increasingly going to have to make it clear that, you know, AI has been used as part of the process for, you know, approving your loan. Um, And I think that is the kind of transparency that will help. And I think, actually, um, consumers will respond well to that. And there is survey data to suggest that consumers will trust companies more if companies are more open with them about how they are using their data um, and um, about the kind of processes that are used um, in their sort of back-end functions. So if you... Gain the trust of your users; they're more likely to remain loyal to you, and therefore, there you know it will drive your you know your business will perform better because you have been open and honest.
0: That's and um, really
1: brings me very neatly
0: on to the whole sort of ethical dimension because. Um, I think we'll agree that uh, the narrative around AI hasn't always been absolutely positive. And there's, I think, um, the need for emphasis uh, on an ethical framework in order to retain public trust. And there, of course, are strategies and actions that business governments and other stakeholders can take to address the potential for negative commercial uh, reputational or other outcomes, and it's a very rapidly evolving landscape. Would you like just to give us a flavor of uh, uh, how stakeholders can guide the development of these kinds of sophisticated um, software applications and? The machines, so to speak, so they can act for our benefit and actually positively transform
1: the world. One of the good things about the the uh, industry at the moment is how seriously ethics is being talked about, and and most AI conferences that you will go to, including the the the, the event that we'll be uh, running in October, um, will feature ethics very very high on the agenda, and that's a you know that's a really positive thing. And I think the important thing to I would say from from our perspective, looking at the the um, The uh, industry is that if you are a a company, any company who is using this technology, and if you are thinking about these ethical implications, not necessarily from a, it doesn't have to be from a technology standpoint. It should be from a, you know, these are moral and uh, and social issues, um, and you should think about them like that. Then I think it can be a, uh, it will be a, a driver for your company to to do to to. perform better you know i don't think it's um it's just something you know worthy that you can seem to be doing and it doesn't really have any impact i actually think in the in the long term um, consumers will respond better to companies that have an ethical framework in place and also the technology will be improved by us thinking about how we use it um and um we will the industry will it will, will benefit because we will avoid um some of the more as you sort of touched on some of the more um negative stories that come out often because people who are building these systems haven't really paid t- attention or the the companies using them or the, the the you know the governments or agencies or the um or the 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 enterprises using them haven't really considered the full ethical implications of what they're doing and if people do start to do that i think it will be of benefit both for them and for for the ai industry as a whole but it, you know it's, it, these aren't easy questions to grapple with you know these are these are um uh, you know really tricky um uh, complex issues um, but we have that's hence why we really have to start um, tackling them now, while the industry is still in its relative infancy. Yes, and a colleague of yours, uh,
0: Rina Bhattacharya, has written extensively on this, hasn't she? Um, uh, uh, the sort of uh, AI and ethics I- mm. issues. I mean, is there any one model that particularly stands out for you? I mean, you know, w- w- it could be, for instance, that one develops a set of ethical guidelines by reference to... Um, OECD or um, uh, EU guidelines, and then you implement it through the audit and risk committee. Or, for instance, you could go for an ethics advisory board, particularly if you're kind of in the in the tech area, because you know you need to be treating this. I suppose if you're doing research and development and so on, a little bit as if this was a sort of medical um, research, as you know, we're very used to those kinds of ethics boards. Um, uh, and the filtering through, if you like, an ethical prism of medical research. I just wondered if you'd seen any particularly
1: useful models um, in your overview. Yeah, I I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to this. I think, you know, it does depend on the kind of company you are and your size and and, and how you operate. But I think some of the the options you mentioned there, I think, um, first of all, I would say the best examples would be when companies take this really serious, this needs to be a board-level issue. So the CIO, CTO, maybe even, you know up to the CEO level need to be taking this issue very seriously. Also, I don't think it should be just a technology issue, so it shouldn't be just siloed off in the technology um, in, the, in the IT department as their problem. I think this is a a company-wide and it needs to be filtered through the company so that any guidelines that are laid out become part of the values that are, are and, uh, that are um, spread throughout the company so that all every single employee knows um that these are the um uh, these are our um standards that we are operating by um so the, you know i think uh, also i think uh, i think as Rena points out in in, in her article it's an excellent uh, article that, that she wrote on on ethics um i, I think you know to be constantly reviewing uh, these guidelines it's, it's not really enough to come out with you know here are our five principles um, and that's it and you know we're never going to revisit them we're not going to you know w- they should be constantly reviewed that board should be sitting you know I, I would uh, you know advise um, you know, setting up a, a group who advises on this and that includes senior board members also potentially um, uh, people from outside The business um, uh, with with expertise in this area and again not technology experts but you know uh, people with um, uh, with sort of humanities experience or with you know those kind of uh, uh, skill sets Um, and uh, you know that sort of outside influence can can really be helpful but you know revisiting those um, uh, those guidelines regularly um, and having an outside board who Constantly looks at these issues and and filters everything through there. Um, I think because I think there is a danger, as with a lot of these things, where um, you can put out your ethical guidelines, your five, you know, or ten or however many points, um, and it is a kind of a branding exercise. I think the term, I mean, we, we've, we've seen this term when companies are talking about how they are very environmentally, you know, greenwashing, I think is often referred to as. We could be for a lot of ethics washing. Ethics you know, washing. You know, we've come up with these five so therefore we are now an ethical company, but that's not really how this works. It has to, you know, it has to be... Part of the DNA of that company, um, and uh, it has to be constantly reviewed and monitored as well. What do you think
0: we can do about making sure that, in a sense, not just young people but uh, uh, older people as well are, in a sense, fit for the digital age? Um,
1: I think you know there needs to be a, a sort of a process of sort of demystifying um, uh, AI. Um, I think quite often the um, the media coverage doesn't help um uh, i i think there is a lot of uh, very lurid headlines around ai um and they often seem to focus on the sort of the apocalyptic scenario um of killer robots or uh, um a um a, a, something that you might have seen in a sci-fi Film of a a murderous AI coming to enslave humanity, when the reality is often much more mundane. Um, and I think w- it would be a big step if we could talk more. And it goes back to one of the, the points we were making earlier about if we could go, we could try and be more realistic in our conversations about this technology, talk about what it can actually do and how it does it, um, but also talk about the limitations on, uh, that, that are currently on it. So we don't immediately jump from a discussion around um, a, a conversational platform to a discussion around a, you know, a, a, an all-powerful AI that can um, uh, think for itself and make decisions for itself. Because you know that, that idea of an artificial general intelligence, which has an emotional quotient, is most researchers would agree at least 3 decades away um what we have now is much more uh, limited still extremely useful and still extremely powerful but i think by focusing more on the reality of the situation um and educating people around that um i think that's you know that's partly a, a government responsibility but i do think you, you know the media has a responsibility there um to to be more uh, to be less sensationalist about this technology but also you know um uh, events like we're, we're having in october where we can have a free discussion um around these issues and and help people understand them i think is um is, is really, will be really will be really important on that point
0: thank you very much ed we thank you. really appreciated the conversation
1: no, thank pleasure. you thank you
0: very much So many thanks to Ed Thomas for sharing his insights on the regulatory framework likely to govern future innovation in artificial intelligence-related technologies. So do look out for further podcasts from the global business law firm DLA Piper as we explore the influence of regulation and emerging technologies in business and wider society. Several podcasts, including ones focusing on fintech, food technology, robotics and automation, Artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, crowdfunding, retail tech, human rights and cloud computing are already available for you to listen to on our website or may be accessed via the Apple podcast app on iOS or SoundCloud, as well as other apps and services for Android or other phones. Do also note that we will, on Tuesday the 5th, 15th of October, at ETC Venues, 155 Bishopsgate, London, be hosting our widely acclaimed DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2019, a major biennial conference attended by over 300 and 50 senior legal and commercial executives. And we're looking forward to eminent industry executives joining us for a panel discussion. Uh, my colleague and DLA Piper partner, Giulio Caraggio will be moderating under the day under the banner of Applying the Laws of Man or the Laws of Asimov, Future Regulation for AI. So do follow DLA Piper on our social media channels and or visit our events website, www.dlapipertechsummit.com forward slash European uh, forward slash where you can register to join us for an exciting full day exploring a variety of aspects of digital transformation and emerging technologies across multiple industries with industry leaders from across Europe and beyond. So thank you from me, Tim Clement-Jones, consultant at global law firm DLA Piper. Thank you.